Welcome back to Brevity Box, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network. We are here with episode 007. That'll mean more in a few minutes. Uh, got a lot to talk about, of course. And this is being recorded on December 4th, Friday. And man, I am counting the minutes until this year is over. I am ready for 2021. Brando, what is up? How's it going, man? It's it's going. Glad it's the weekend. Had a long, frustrating week at the old office, but uh, eh, that's life. Could be worse. There's a lot of people without jobs right now, so I shouldn't bitch. Uh, me either. I mean, what working at Spacely Sprockets has got job security is what you're telling me? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I've, I think it's uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's all we're always starting there, right? We're still, you know, I hate to tell everybody and describe the water we're all kind of sinking in, but you know, obviously, COVID's still a thing, um, getting to be more of a thing across the country because, you know, Americans are willful, you know, and they're gonna do what they're gonna do, especially with all the failures in messaging and whatnot. We won't go too deep into that, but. People are sick. Hospitals are getting overwhelmed. I think I've said it a few times, but, um, you know, obviously wear the fucking mask. But, you know, no, not trying to scare everybody. Just trying to say, you know, keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed so that when people get sick, they can go get treated. It's pretty simple. The mask is a very small thing to ask, and it's not hard but, to but, do. But my freedom with it. Yeah, you can look good wearing a mask. You don't You're infringing on my First Amendment right. To spread the word of disease? Sure. I mean, that's the thing, right? If It's it's almost like they're spreading the good word. Like, what would you call it? If there was a Jehovah's Witness of COVID and pandemic, what would you call them? What kind of witness would it be? Plague enthusiasts. <laughs> plague enthusiasts needs to be a group on Twitter. Hashtag plague enthusiasts. Yeah, considering I just found out today someone that I I know and care for very much came had a positive test. So I'm pretty I'm just kind of pissed off at the world right now about this whole thing. Oh no. Any anybody we know? Anybody yep. I know? We'll talk later. Oh my. Is it the person I'm first thinking of? No. Okay. That doesn't make me feel that much better. That sucks. That sucks to hear about that. Asymptomatic man. so far, but I just found out today. Right. Well, yeah. you know, I think I think that's a lot of it. I think Again, I know I mentioned it on the last episode, talking about the uh, high school versus pro league debacle that was New Orleans at Denver with the quarter, basically the water boy. They took Bobby Boucher off the bench and tried to get him to throw the ball. That was, um, you know, this thing is affecting a lot of people because even in, in that context, you have pro athletes that are uh, not following protocol and, and you end up with it. It's just not as entertaining, man. It's, and I mean, that's not saying much. I mean, Taysom Hill didn't look, uh, the Saints quarterback did not look much better than the Denver quarterback. Thank God we have good running game. But it's um, it's weird to see how many people that we know are getting it, spreading it around. Um, I still think that it's a little bit odd, and it says a lot about us that football players are getting multiple tests a week, but nursing staff across the country aren't. And and I don't know. How did your friend catch it? Do you do they know? I haven't asked too many questions. Oh, you think it was work, or do you think it was a social related thing? Honestly, I have no idea. Could mm-hmm. it be could have been either one. It's not somebody I work. Like I said, we'll we'll talk more after we hit after we hit the stop button. 
Yeah. Okay. For the sake of anonymity. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. That's fair. You know, um, it brings back that point I was making at the beginning. We're just counting the minutes until the weirdest new year and holiday season of probably any of our lives and ready to get into 2021, ready to get rid of uh, Trumple thin skin and get him out and, you know, try to get a, a, a new thing happening. Hopefully it sounds like things are going in the right direction. I don't know, man. They're going to, you know, Sidney Powell's going to release the Kraken, Kraken any day now or some shit. The Kraken needs an editor, right? She had to, to recently uh, refine her claims about what was going on. I mean, you know, isn't this the boy who cried wolf? I mean, aren't we, didn't we grow up on this story where now we've got 35 or 32? I mean, you lose count how many things are debunked or not. Last time I checked, it was one in 31. Well, and the one was really nothing. They're, they they are Detroit lionsing the shit out of this thing. <laughs> Let's fire Matt Patricia again. Yeah, there you go. Good idea. It's a good way to do it. Let's just yeah. blame him. Now, it seems weird, right? It seems like uh, I had this kind of thought that maybe things really started going crazy in this country after Tom Clancy passed away. Like he went up to heaven and sort of took over the business because everything seems to be working kind of like a Clancy novel, right? After Fed you, Smoker died, man. It's all, it's all happened. After it's Fed all Smoker Fed died. Smoker for YMH fans. If you're not a fan of your mom's house, uh, you know, if you want to go to seedy depth that you didn't think you'd find funny, try listening to your mom's house. <laughs> just watch their live shows. If you just want to die a little um, on the inside, uh, you want to scar your subconscious for the rest of your life. Watch the live show for sure. But no, I mean, I, I think about it, right? I mean, this does kind of read like a poor man's Clancy novel. You've got a wannabe sort of Dick, ish kind of person he's got a spy in the justice department that's been banned from the building <laughs> right you've got a, a psychopath attorney out there uh, <laughs> uh talking about the kraken great movie reference by the way mm-hmm. and not being able to prove anything and at and, the head of it all we got drunk uncle rudy who was melting man, on live television I want to get to that. Yeah, the melting thing we covered is is totally. We did that last episode, but I, I, I just want ahead. to say this about uh, the the court motion, Sidney Powell Fox. I, I I was able to pull it up online because you know a lot of the shit is public record. Right. Um, it was page two when they started tying this shit somehow to Hugo Chavez. Oh, I know, man. It's just bird seed to these to to hungry mouths. It's it's kind of it's it's. The thing that caught my attention surrounding Georgia and Sidney Powell and kind of going back to the boy who cried wolf reference, it's that now you've got a clear push in the GOP against itself. You've got a group of people that buy into the whole narrative of things being rigged and Hugo Chavez reaches his zombie hand out from the grave to kind of turn things pro uh, Biden. Uh, okay. And you now have a place where with the runoff coming in early January, a lot of the same people that were out there that are still very much pro the sitting president now, they don't believe that they should vote in something that's rigged. And now they're kind of having to 
to live by this whole thing. They're having to, I mean, even in their own, their own people talking to a room full of their supporters, their supporters are saying that they are not going to come out and support them. And you've got, uh, I forget Romney's uh, niece, I think is, was it Rhonda McDaniel? Rhonda McDaniel. Yes. Yeah. So she's there trying to walk this weird tightrope because she doesn't want to bash uh, the boy who's crying wolf necessarily. And at the same time, she needs them to come out and support the candidates they want to put in the Senate. And those people are listening to the president and Sidney Powell and Sidney Powell and some Georgia whack job Southern attorney, uh, which I absolutely love the statement from the man that we ain't stupid is like that shirt needs to be sold. Um, you know, they're, petitioning those very same people not to show up not to do it really pushing that narrative hard it the disconnect between Sidney powell being let go officially from the legal staff from trump and still out there campaigning for this thing i mean it is shocking to think that now they're having to to like deal with the ramifications of that kind of narrative and dishonesty and it's, I, I it, it's almost like the kind of people like on Tiger King that keep big cats and then suddenly get surprised when the cats try to eat them. Isn't this the year of Tiger King? I mean, that that's really kind I, of fits I, everything. I saw an article and I may be getting the details wrong. Please feel free to correct me if you know about someone trying to basically buy a pardon from the Trump administration. And deep down inside, I'm just praying, please let it be Joe Exotic. <laughs> hey they they said uh this was interesting right because i mean what are you I, I have to save a little bit of this because it's one of those other things that i wouldn't have expected bill barr somebody i have a lot of issues with attorney general comes Boston out and says motherfucker yeah to be kind yeah. and you know he's saying no no evidence of you know, he's going against the president's narrative and pushing out his spies that were seeking information and pressuring people inside the DOJ and also conducting these investigations into the solicitation for pardons that involves people very close in network to the president. Like Tom Clancy novel. I mean, straight up. It's it's part Tom Clancy novel, and then on the other side of it, it's. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Let me. This is equal parts Tom Clancy, equal parts Confederacy of Dunces. That's really good. Yeah, and it 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 makes me think of Julia Louise Dreyfus and Veep because she, you know when she commented on why they had a trouble at towards the end of the show because it's difficult to write comedy. Yeah. I mean, that last season was I mean, awful because you can't outdo what we're dealing with in the world right now. The absurd, you can't be absurdist when everything is more absurd in reality. I don't know how the onion hasn't gone under by now. <laughs> yeah. What are they? How, I, do you know how, I don't even know how I would deal with that difficulty. And it's, it's kind of what I was getting to too. It's part Tom Clancy, part SNL. And and on the other side of the legal debacle with uh, Sidney Powell, you've got, like you said, Tootie Rudy Giuliani, literally his, farting you, on Mike. Show him, show him respect. Use his proper name, Drunk Uncle Rudy. 
drunk uncle Rudy is passing gas audibly in a congr- in a house oversight committee hearing in Michigan. <laughs> I, I mean, it is the most, it would be bad if it were a bit on SNL, you would think that's a little sophomoric. You need to try harder. Well, I mean, it's, but it's, 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 it's real. It's, it's not as bad as that time that Jerry Nadler definitely shit himself standing next to Nancy Pelosi. Oh, that's that's a, a callback, but you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, the some of the IT people that he brought on, I mean, <laughs> look, if if you believe in the phrase you can't bullshit a bullshitter, uh, these people were completely trying to bullshit. And one in specific who I... I do not know the name of and don't want to, but this blonde in glasses oh, yeah. and the they the were doing speed, shots before this hearing. It certainly seemed that way, but here you have the imagery of it is straight out of a character of mm-hmm. SNL, right? You've got the the ripped fashion style jeans with the high heel pumps. She looks like she has a bump it in her hair. Which the only reason I know that is because of an old <laughs> Tina Fey bit where she was mocking Sarah Palin. You know, for those of you who don't know, this is looking up hilarious. But then the voice, the intonation, the cadence, the way this person's talking, it feels like a bit from and pardon me if I get her name wrong, but Cicely Strong, is that her name from well, SNL? Yeah, I believe so. The girl you wish you hadn't started a conversation with is unbelievably spot on and i'm i mean once we have our instagram up and running we'll be posting these links but my favorite phrase and i love phrases like that like that miss the point like in pineapple express it was like the monkey's out of the bottle you can't put it back in i love Mm -hmm. that one for all intents and porpoises hilarious mind bottling like when your thoughts are all trapped up in a bottle uh what's the one from friends the point is moo you know, it doesn't mean anything like a I mean, cow's I've seen, every, I've seen every season of the Trailer Park Boys. I, I, I got plenty of these. I love these. And hers, Worst Case Ontario. Worst Case Ontario. Take off the blindfold and listen to what I'm saying is my, my favorite one. Get and two birds Ch- stoned at once. Uh, and my Chappelle favorite is some people like cucumber better pickle. Huh? I loved. What? Huh? What? <laughs> I love doing that shit live to pull that off dry to people. It just it's unreal that in something that they try to posture up as this serious threat and fraud and it's rigged, they're they lose in every sense. They can't be legitimate in a court of law. They have no grounds to stand on. And the only point is to keep people. It's three card Monty. And for those who are willing to buy in, he just wants to keep their attention long enough that he can get them to pay for a membership model when he starts his own news network or takes over Newsmax. And I don't know whether to be mad at the people that believe it or to feel sorry for them that they're being deceived. You know, I think kind of 50 50. I, I feel bad that they're being conned so clearly and roughly. And, you know, it's it's like on the other side of it, you got to know that people started taking it seriously when it started affecting their team. You know, when Balt, when the when you start seeing football on a Wednesday afternoon, that happened, that happened. I'm so out of touch. 
Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And this is a divisional rival game. This is a game that has, you know, importance in the league shifted because of their locker room. You know, the couple of their uh, running backs, I believe, they tested positive for COVID. So they moved the game, initially move it to Tuesday, move it to Wednesday. And I think because of that move, they canceled Thursday night football. It's there are people who don't know anything about politics. There are people who don't know anything about uh, medicine or virology and they, nor should they. Right. But just if you're a sports fan, you know, something's up, right? Yeah. You know, something's going on. It's tough. It's tough to get a a grasp on. I don't know. As always, we had to start with some of those current events we had, to, we, we had to tiptoe around the dark places, we call it. And we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Other things that I've been paying attention to, movie, are movie theaters dying, man? Are movie theaters going to be a thing in a year? They better not. I'm Look, just I saying. Mean, I, I saw an art. No, I, I did read about how uh, I think all Warner Brothers movies are going to be streamed on HBO Max when they're released in theaters in 2021 for like a month. Well, that's and what I'm talking I'm, about. I'm kind of cool with that because there are some things I wouldn't have paid money to see in the first place. But for example, right. uh, I don't care how bad this is. Uh, when Dune comes into theaters, I'm going to find an IMAX. I'll go see it. And then I'll quarantine for two weeks. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I'm, I'm seeing it in a movie man. theater. I love that. No, I'm with you. But I think that's kind of where it's going. It's not going to be the same as, as it was where people are going to pile in. Like, Truly, it may have been that Avengers Endgame is the last <laughs> big movie title that we're going to see in a theater like that. And I'm not I sure wonder, I'm upset about it. I, I love the how, screen, but, you I know. Wonder, I wonder how stubborn they're going to be about uh, No Time to Die, the new Bond movie. Oh, man. What a great segue. But what I, what, I, what I will say, though, is the, uh, the loft down here in Tucson, Arizona is doing a... Uh, I think that they, they have some sort of virtual theater thing I've seen on their social media pages. I haven't looked into it too much, but uh, they're also doing outdoor screenings of movies, which they're probably going to have to stop soon because it's actually getting cold, you know, right. relatively cold for Tucson. But you know, they're doing what they can to stay in business, and I appreciate it. And I don't know, maybe if a few big movie chains go out of business and maybe more smaller artsy or local things like The Loft or Roadhouse can spring Roadhouse up in theaters, their wake. Yeah. Fine by me. Yeah, right. Re- like big leather recliners, uh, waiter service, and no kids, and a little bit of social distancing, and no kids. Yeah, it's a better way to watch a movie if they can combine that with a bit of the IMAX mm. and and get some of that big big theater feel. I'll be all over it. Or you know, it could be the return of the drive-in. I mean, a modern drive-in might not be a bad thing if you really I mean, think about I, it. I know some comedians and musicians are actually doing drive-in tours right now, so. There's obviously a market. We all watched yeah. Biden's acceptance speech. It was basically a driving. Shout, shout out to Tom Segura, Burnt Chrysler, and all yeah, those guys. Yeah, except are out there uh, doing Tommy it. Buns has broken a couple bones recently. He's, uh, he had had some surgery. Oh my! I did not realize. To my understanding, he and uh, Burt Chrysler, who smells really bad and has weird things with dogs, um, <laughs> they were playing some basketball for a segment on one of their shows. And uh, Tom broke something in a lower extremity and something in an upper extremity. Had to have surgery. Ten bucks oh says he uh, did, you know, 
the fat boy come down from a jump shot on one foot and compound fractured his bib and tip. I think Burnt got upset he was getting beat and just went psycho on him and pushed him down. That's what I'm saying. Mm. I'm calling that. So I want to I want to drop back to Bond for a second. Who oh, is, yes, who yes, is yes. the who is the evil organization in Bond that was trying to uh I forget the name now. Parlor. No. Dunch. Parlor. That's something we got to talk about too though. But Okay. Expect, we'll uh, do that too. I'm going to segue here. Because it's episode are, 007. Hey, hey, real, real quick, though. Are we talking about the books or the current movies? The current movies. Well, it'd be the old movies, too, right? It's the same well, one. I mean, Spectre. Be- Spectre. Well, you're thinking Smirsh. Or maybe I am confusing it with the books. But yeah, Spectre. It was Smirsh yeah, I, in at least the first couple of books, Spectre in the movies. I think we need somebody who has deep knowledge of all things British, and it's going to bring us to our guest, which I think... I was saying this a second ago. I did not plan this. Bullshit. But having it be episode 007 is so fitting. Totally uh, planned it. Totally, <laughs> totally accidental. Uh, we're, you know, the this gentleman, good buddy, friend of both of ours for a long time. Uh, we'll get into why we invited him and whatnot. But suffice it to say, he is uh, one of the more interesting friends of mine. Uh and we're glad to have him. We're going to bring him on here to talk about all this Bond movies, politics. He's got a unique perspective. I want to welcome him to the show. We're going to redact some of the information from his life, you know, for his and our safety. Uh, let's just say Agent G, or we'll call him Graham for short. Graham, thanks for coming on. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Brevity Box. We're glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charlie and uh, Brenda. Uh, great to uh, to be uh, chatting with you guys. If I had the music, man, I'd be playing it right now. You'd hear it. Get you straight walking in. We'd have the little tunnel shot. You firing your your uh, your pistol at the camera. I yeah, mean... If I'd have known, I could have got my trombone out, and that's not a euphemism, so... No. <laughs> well, for it you, it could be both. Isn't. It could be yeah. both things. It could be yeah. two things here. So I think the accent says it all on why we're trying to say 007, Graham. I mean, clearly you're not from Russia. Uh, <laughs> no, indeed not. I um, was born in uh, deepest Alabama, as I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, from the UK, obviously, um, and uh, love to be there. But I've uh, been in the United States now since 2009 permanently, so like 11 years or so. And uh, how time flies. But uh I was just wondering, we, talking about the um, the UK thing, I'm like, should I just like talk normally or should I ham up the accent like I do to talk to the girls on Friday night? I don't know. But uh, uh, You know what? Maybe a little of both. You're just going to have to depict them on the topic. Um, yeah. Before we kind of get into all the depth of it, let's, let's start by you've been here listening to our conversation back and forth. Did anything catch your ear that you wanted to chime in on? We've kind of covered some of the COVID, some of the politic, some of the court cases. And, you know, you have a, a sort of obviously unique perspective. You don't have to be as embarrassed as some of us are that have been here and are from here uh, natively. Um, anything catch your mind on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think uh, the uh, the main part is just around the COVID. I think that's what resonated with me most because I follow quite a lot still, obviously, what's going on in the UK. You know, that's where I came from. And uh and I like to make sure that things are going on okay over there as they are here. And uh, I think probably the the most interesting difference, I guess, between the UK and here has been 
the leadership, I guess, through COVID. Actually, it's kind of interesting that Boris Johnson, the prime minister over there, has kind of screwed up uh, pretty royally over there as well in terms of a lot of his uh, responses to COVID and how he's been doing it. But at least since he was sick and at least since he understood what the virus could do, there's been a level of humility, I would say, from him, which just hasn't been the same over here from uh, the leadership, shall we say. Yeah, what's that like? And and, and, and it's interesting. You know, and, well, he, but uh, but ahead. you know he's um he's yeah he's definitely not uh, he's not uh, the person that you would say is a number one star in the UK right now either. And there's a lot of people that are not supportive of him, basically from the Brexit point of view. And we could probably do a whole show just on Brexit, but I don't want to do that to anybody. Um, but no, um, no, we could. We definitely you know, could. with the COVID thing, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's um, he's struggled with that as well. And I think he's struggled. But he, You can see the struggle within him, in my mind anyway, that he's struggling with how to deal with a, a deadly virus and yet how to keep the economy going. Whereas over here, that struggle doesn't seem to exist. I think those are my differences. Well, yeah, no, clearly. And I, I think maybe tell me if you'd agree with me on this or not. Um, in talking to some people that ask why I think things went the way they did with the election, I, I kind of juxtapose the concept that if, you know, when the president had gotten sick with COVID, if he had come out of the hospital with humility and anything like what you, even a, a, a feigned, uh, bad impression of what Boris Johnson pulled off in the UK, I really do think it would have sealed another four years for him. If he had shown any humanity in that moment and, uh, and sort of acknowledgement that things were not going in the right direction, I think a lot of people would have been more supportive and, and maybe to both of them, I feel like it, it's almost like this uh, allegory tale about the seven deadly sins, right? Here is where pride and ego are a real fucking problem, you know, and it's like they cannot, they can't stop because of that sort of thing. And I mean, I don't think Boris Johnson is anywhere near the narcissist that, uh, our president is, although they do seem to have the same fondness for hairstyles like that. Well, if you're talking about mm-hmm. deadly sins, they do both have sloth going for them, I guess. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, pretty much right. Actually, I have a very important <laughs> question I need to interject here. Out of the three, who has the worst haircut? Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Mark Davis, owner of the Oakland of the Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't Ooh. it? We got to rank these. Okay, I'm gonna say. I kind of like the punk feel of Boris Johnson's hair. I feel like Davis looks a bit more sad. And I feel like, man, I just feel like there's just a dumpster full of disposed Aquanet cans behind the White House. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) does the Las Vegas owner, is that really his own hair? I don't know. Yeah, it is. He, Is He travels for and pays good money for that haircut. Wow. Well, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's just <laughs> I'm just going to go with that because it looks so much like a toupee. But there you go. It makes him look like someone that pets the rabbits a little too hard if you catch my drift. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it does. It really good. Good. Good analogy there of, of uh, you know, that's an of mice and men reference. For those I want Steinbeck on you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you went deep, bro. Mm-hmm. So you, That's you know, we do. were talking. We were talking a little bit about the COVID, of course, and we got we kind of glanced on some of the sports. You're a Green Bay Packers fan, which you're going to have to explain live here in just a few minutes. But being that you're going through this season, your team's doing exceptionally well. I mean, does it feel different to you? I'm sure it does. I mean, we've talked. The league doesn't feel the same. It's not as it's not as interesting. It's not as dramatic. It's not as entertaining. It's just odd. When you no, agree? It is. And, I, and I think it's odd with anything um, where fans no longer are a part of it. I mean, sports in many ways exist because of the fans. And um, so the NFL, college, I mean, even as you know, I am obviously follow uh, very much the uh, Premier League in the, in the United Kingdom, right? The soccer, mm-hmm. uh, English Premier League. And, uh, you know, the same when you've got um, empty stadiums, they're saying that a lot of people, a lot of sports people are just not able to get themselves going for a game when there's nobody there cheering. It's like a uh, glorified practice session, you know. Right. The uh, the energy's not there. Yeah. The, yeah, the energy. Like an exhibition, not a proper game. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, some people are able to create their own energy, but some people really aren't. They feed off the crowd, and I think that's what you're seeing in the NFL, bringing it back over here and uh, to the football, um, that uh, people are just not able to create that kind of energy. So you're seeing a kind of flat game, um, even though there are still stars and experts of their. Um, profession uh going going at it but it's just the energy's not there so that's the difference in the feeling i think and then like you were saying you know a game being played on wednesday afternoon um it, that just seemed kind of dumb to me really and then watching i was flicking back and forth on some games on sunday and seeing the denver quarterback in inverted commas uh basically uh, <laughs> uh, yeah i mean I, I just don't even know what to say because it wasn't even a game really i felt bad for the guy I, I mean, I, I respect him for getting out there and doing what he can, but I mean, it was, again, it feels like a, a bad comedy script, right? It feels like a, a premise to a, you know, necessary roughness or the water boy or any of these sort of, you know, tongue in cheek, absurd comedies. It's kind of affected comedy in a weird way too. You know, I, I think in a time where we need, as much distraction and entertainment, it's really difficult to produce it in a way that, that makes you kind of, you, you can't compare it to the real world and think, Oh, this is outlandish. This will never happen. It, it's right in front of you. Well, I mean, that wide receiver, you know, uh, playing quarterback for the Denver Broncos, I had a flashback to um, the, the movie, not another teen movie, which is a terrible movie, but it's kind of funny. And that part of it, it was taking the, the piss out of uh, the movie, Rudy, the guy catches a a ball in the end zone and like these two huge 300 pound guys come and like split him in half i was like uh that's probably what's going to happen to this poor quarterback at some point oh man it looked like it too uh it really did he he got he got and they were nice to him you know he still looked like he got a bit abused um you know i i i'm sorry hang on the the, the saints defense is being nice to a quarterback yeah. Oh man, here nope. we go. No bounty. Here we go. Yeah. Vikings Back on topic. <laughs> so, you know, Graham, the interesting thing for me that you know it's important to note that you are now a citizen. You're an American. American. And congratulations, by the way. That's Thank pretty you awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm really happy I, to be here. 
I mean, do you, are you, uh, I gotta ask, are you a secret agent from Her Majesty's MI6 here to destroy the American government? Because a lot of this started going south when you started going through that process, Graham. Yeah, I know. I truly am the Trojan horse of all Trojan horses. Um, and as soon as I signed up and uh, when they knew that I was coming to vote, it all went wrong from there, right? It, well, it, it, it does kind of open up some avenue for me to ask for some perspective here because of your country of origin and like you were alluding to a moment ago you know and sort of referencing what we started with hearing uh, you know now that you're a citizen hearing the uh, president talk about the election being rigged and and not just the fact of that narrative being there it's how that's playing out you know this isn't like a piece of history like 2001 or 2000 election with uh bush gore you know this is not about a hanging chad and and going to the supreme court it's a lot more than like 520 some votes well and a lot more than just one state but being from the uk coming here going through everything that it took to become a citizen has it i guess it's sort of an open-ended question i want to say how is it affected your perspective. Are you as defensive uh, as I tend to be? I, I get very, uh, you know, I kind of conceptualize that the world is, is just um, like, he's just dragging our reputation through the mud by saying these things. But I, I assume that people can see the ridiculous nature of these court cases and the way that they're being thrown out and failing and not really being based on merit. And unfortunately you sort of represent, the other side of the pond for the moment um like what wh you're paying attention to it i know you read as much news as i do uh what are you what are you coming away with seeing all this activity from people like Sidney powell and uh, what's going on in georgia and michigan and rudy giuliani melting away on camera yeah well well i mean you know fundamentally what's what's kind of really interesting to me is you go back to my ceremony in april of uh, uh of last year in 2019 and uh the judge um, who presided over the um, uh, over the, the swearing-in ceremony, and uh, you know, we had to take the pledge of allegiance to the flag. We had the national anthem. We had um, actually twenty-three different countries um, that were represented. Fifty people um, were at the ceremony, and um, twenty-three different countries represented. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but sure. um, but if he said it once, he said it ten times. The judge. He was like, now that you've become a citizen, go out and vote. He says, your number one right as an American citizen is to go vote, to have your voice heard. And so, I and actually when you left the um, uh, the ceremony, they actually had somebody right there. You could go fill in the forms and sign up and, uh, and become a registered voter. And I mean, that's huge, right? And that was one of the yeah. big things because like um, before then, as you know, I was here on uh, uh, work visas uh, and then also on a green card, and I had to have my green card for five years before I become a uh, a citizen, before I could apply to become a citizen, because those are the rules that I came in under. Um, and uh, through all of those times, I'm I'm paying tax, so taxation without representation. So go figure, it came full circle, right? <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's you dunking on us. Thank you, Grant. Well, thank yeah, you for sorry. not going to the harbor and throwing in a bunch of Budweiser. Yeah, so Uncle Sam, you're welcome. Um, but uh, but no, absolutely. But then like along comes citizenship, and here I am, and I go out and vote. And I think it's just so. Um, I mean, it's just disappointing. It's sad 
however you want to do it. I don't get angry uh, about the um, uh, about what's going on in the courts and all that type of thing. I think it's sad. I think it's disappointing. I think it's uh, uh, it, it's those um, emotions that I have about the fact that you're taking basically the reason why all of the people who want to come to America, come to America. All of these 23 nations that were represented at the ceremony that I was at was about, we want to be able to come and have our voice heard. Um, and um, and if, I, if I may, I could just go on to a little story. Please. On, from, mm -hmm. that, uh, um, from that ceremony that resonated with me because at the end of the ceremony, when we'd done all of our pledging of allegiance and, uh, and, uh, and uh, taken the oath of allegiance and, and all of those types of things, um, the judge invited a number of people to come up and say, hey, why don't you come and tell us um, your story? And I thought, well, my story isn't much one to tell, right? I'm, uh, I'm from the UK. My story to get to America was pretty straightforward. But some of the people that were there um, and the two that resonated with me, two brothers from Iraq um, who wrote the same ceremony. And for all of the good or bad, however you want to talk about how Trump um, has uh, uh, run the country over the last four years. And so this was a year, 18 months or so ago, so two and a half years in, they basically stood up there and they said, it has been our lifelong dream to come to America. You know, when we were back home, we were living in a regime where you were not allowed to speak your word or speak speak your mind. You were not allowed to like uh, speak out against leadership. You were not to be able to uh, participate in democratic elections. And so our idea was to come to America where our voice could be heard and we could be part of a greater good. And so when you hear their story uh, and, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, the fact that Trump even got elected was terrible. Well, no, he was democratically elected. Right. And so yeah. good, bad or indifferent, he was democratically elected. Yeah. Joe Biden has now mm -hmm. been democratically elected. The fact that you call that into question is calling into question the very basis of um, why um, freedom exists, if you like. And, uh, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, maybe it was interesting to talk about those guys um, who came over here from Iraq to say, this is why we came to America. So I wonder what they're thinking right now. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you. Yeah, I would wonder what they were thinking too. And and it, it's, it is, it you know, I, I guess I, the thing that gets me upset is I feel like the thing that is missed by very, I, you know, I don't want to be unkind to anyone, but for people who are either uh, knowingly or unknowingly unaware of how the world sees America, I think that's a great representation of the way that I believe we are intended to uh, be seen by those two individuals from Iraq. I think that the thing that gets me upset is for those who would want to demean anything about us, this is the fuel for, uh, without going into naming names, I think we kind of have a good idea of who is out there wanting to make us besmirch the good name of the country and democracy as we see it. That's what gets me bothered is that there's no consideration from a large group of uh, of Americans that are just sort of unaware that this is exactly the kind of fuel they want for their own, you know, 
propaganda and word of mouth and and like the the regime that those gentlemen came from you could imagine that the people that are in charge of that regime are saying look see see oh yeah why you know why would you there's a it's not real you know they're it it's really gonna affect lives on of people that many uh good hard-working americans will never meet or know of right and, well, it's, and you can that's also, what gets me bothered yeah and you can also like uh, understand like some of the um, areas of the world like, kind of like exactly what you said maybe i'm just emphasizing the point um without mentioning particular countries but uh, it's yeah obvious right they can say hey well look at democracy in action right is this what you really want or do you want us to just tell you how it's going to work um and right. uh, yeah it's it's fascinating because um you know when you're trying to basically call into question the the democratic uh process i think you're on a very slippery slope um and yeah I, you know i think it you know i'm pretty sure it'll uh, get figured out um it doesn't make it look good but i think um things will well, I was going to say return to normal, but who the hell knows what that is anymore after this uh, year. So, uh... well, so, you know, going back to where I started with those examples, it almost feels a bit uh, serendipity with the comedic absurdity that is on television with these oversight. You know, it, it's now you know, like what a weird time we live in where five years ago, everybody on Twitter and, and Facebook was, you know, they would not watch uh, a House Oversight Committee hearing. And now it's the source of great comedy. And if anything, I think it makes, it almost does us a favor, right? The fact that it looks so absurd. And also, I, I said this on the last episode, and I, I think it bears repeating. I love, I would have never thought that I would have been so grateful for judges. For just the court system and and Republican judges, to be frank, because they were they're the ones throwing these cases out with great disdain. They're the ones sort of holding the line and making it clear. And and to be you look at how these uh, would be attorneys are, are handling themselves in the court of law. You know, I think it all comes down to Giuliani saying this is not a, a fraud case you know, uh, just right there in, in the court documents. And I'm grateful for it. It feels like amidst all the chaos, the system is actually holding, right? And even with Bill Barr, you know, that example is crazy to me, but here's a guy I don't agree with on 99% of what he's done, but even that person seems to have one, like, like line of, of honesty in him that won't let him go past like a bridge too far. So I I don't know, something's relieving about that for me that it, that it's it is kind of holding there and I think it's it's starting to look more absurd. Like I think he's it's just not it doesn't look legitimate at all. It might have started and sounded like it a few weeks ago, but at this point it just looks a, a little comedic and silly and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, what are you saying, uh, Charlie? You're saying that uh, maybe the uh, founding fathers actually had their shit together and knew what they were doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. listen, right? I mean, isn't it sort of odd that that's kind of this, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not typically a, hey, the system works guy, but in, I want to give credit where credit's due. And I'm grateful that it's not going further and being propagated by these people who are in real positions of power and the court system's working. And it's not, if it were, 
democratic judges across the board, I think I might feel uh, like it was more assailable, but now it's not. And I don't think they have any fuel like that. Fire's getting smaller. There's not any more wood to Trump appointed judges doing this too. Yeah. True. 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 Hmm. You know, so much for his, uh, wannabe loyalties. Oh, so, okay. I, I wanted to cover some of that. Um, I think we can move off of some of the deep political talk. Avoid the dark uh, place. Yeah, avoid the dark place. Uh, Graham, you you and I met each other a long time before you relocated to the States. And, uh, you know, I'm so interested in a lot of your story. I think we should start by, um, you know, without going into too much detail, what you know, you kind of give an example of these two gentlemen. Clearly, they come from a, a hard regime and they wanted to come to a place where their voice was heard. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, the regime you came from in the UK <laughs> and, and what like what instigated that from from boyhood? Because you've you've had a, a you know, a good upbringing. You're an educated and, and cultural uh, gentleman. Well, you know what? So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. We'll get to those things being presented to everybody else, but I think that's pretty a uh, fair statement. I'm not trying to blow too much uh, beautiful silky smoke up your ass, but you know what? What was the what was the what would you say is the first like? Uh, I guess I won't try to get you to boil it down to one reason, but why why uh, why become American? Like why go from from the UK and become a citizen? Yeah, I mean that's uh, I mean that's an interesting question, and um, uh, it's um, a lot of it's down to, I mean it's like you said, it's really hard to put kind of like one reason on it. I think what well, I could almost argue that my entire life has been about eventually coming here. I don't know through some strange, strange realm, but um, you know even from uh, early in my uh, career, uh, I got the opportunity a year after I finished college. Um, to go out to the United Arab Emirates, um, which is yeah. kind of random, and uh, you know, will mi- migrate to uh, the American uh, dream uh, in a little while. But I mean, I think you know, for me, it was just always about getting out there and uh, traveling and seeing the world. And so I got the opportunity a year out of college. Um, my company that I was working for at the time said, "Hey, you know, we're going to pay you a bunch of extra cash if you want to go to the UAE." And I'm like, "Well, fuck, where do I sign up?" Right. It's like, uh, that's not sure. complicated Why not? when when you're a year out of college, right? To go and get like a double your salary, essentially, to go and live in a place of hardship, which really wasn't that much of a hardship, really, anyway. I mean, there are many things you could and could not do, of course. But um, but even so, I'm just kind of like I was out there. And then when I came back, I mean, I think in some ways, though, it's interesting. It's just the decisions and the choices that you make during your life that uh, shape it. I say maybe I was always destined to come here, but I probably wasn't until I you know, got my most recent job with an American company in the UK um, and uh, just got the opportunity to start to travel. And uh, and I think uh, what's interesting to me is um, Tucson, Arizona. Um, that's really what drew me in. And uh, that's kind of interesting because a lot of people are like, why the hell did you leave London to go to Tucson? <laughs> like, what kind of right. like, uh, what's actually wrong with you? And I'm like, well, you got to remember, I mean, I was, uh, you know, I, I like the open spaces and uh, I'm pretty sure I was like a saguaro or something in some previous afterlife because I love the desert. I was just out hiking today in amongst the saguaros and uh, and uh, it was just, just great. It was peaceful. It was just outside, outdoors. 
Now, you know, in the UK, the UK I found was very um, claustrophobic in my mind. Uh, I mean, I grew up on the east coast of uh, the UK. And so that was a lot more, you know, village life, rural England, but college and every time, every time since college, I've lived more in the towns, in the cities. And I just needed some open space. There's too many people in the UK as far as I might come. Then you come to like Arizona to the southwest. Uh, there's just more open spaces. There's just more sky. There's more sun. There's more big sky. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I really said good that. Mexican food. Yeah. yeah. Well, authentic. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, uh, I've said that to people uh, here. I live in New Orleans for the reminder for everybody listening um, who asked me, why would you want to live there? Why would you want to live there? In fact, my sister used to constantly no like, natural lie. disasters. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Very easy to live there. But, uh, you know, I think Arizona is always um, special for people who discover it. Yeah, you know, not, and it's not for everybody, of course, though, actually. Right. You know, we struggle, um, you know, to keep um, uh, even in the, the work that I do here and stuff like that, we struggle to keep some of the younger people because they want the they want the excitement of the coasts right you know the california right. or the new york or the boston or or those types of things they want the the party atmospheres and things like that and tucson tucson particularly i mean phoenix has probably got more going for it but tucson particularly it's i mean you could argue it's still a little bit of backward i mean it's still a small town it, it's a big town with a small town feel but that's something i like i mean i like the fact that i can wander downtown and i'm probably going to bump into somebody i know if i'm going out to a bar or well i, I mean obviously pre-covid right but then this whole conversation is just pre-covid as the as the prequel right yeah uh, it is but uh, but i mean you know it, it's kind of nice it's, it's well and that's i mean that's kind of how i approach it with with when i'm answering it. you know i even in in conversations with my wife who is from uh, tucson and could not wait to get out and that was one of the jokes that we would i would say to anybody for people who were born there uh most of them that i've known who have been born and raised in tucson they they're ready to leave they want to be around grass and rain and i you know that's fine um for me i i really I knew when I got there that I, I, you know, it, it fit. I think that's kind of what you, for those people like yourself and, and me included, there's a certain sense of, uh, I don't know. It just seems right. You know, it seems like a, a, an interesting setting, like going to Gates pass was, I think sort of the moment that that road, there's a winding road to a, a, a scenic, a historical space called Gates Pass in Tucson, Arizona. Look it up, Google it. Um, and seeing all the saguaro cactuses, cacti, and going through a deep valley and getting to a place where the sunset, again, big sky, lots of colors, it seems so otherworldly. And and it just felt like home. Yeah, I, I, I get why you would fall for it. And you kind of, you know, you 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 mentioned maybe you were destined to come here. I don't know if you actually like, what was it that made you want to like coming here, living here? That's one thing, but what can you narrow down? Like something that made you feel like you needed to be, you know, more, more than a work visa and a green card. Like what made you want to stay here? What made you want to be an American? Yeah, I, I think um, there's, 
you know, a couple of reasons, I guess. I think from an employment perspective, it makes things a lot simpler. Um, so, so there's certainly that piece to it if you're just a citizen. But I think, you know, again, fundamentally, you're either part of something or you're not part of something, right? And so me being able to be a citizen, the, again, the, the guy who um, the judge said it right, you know, vote, right? You then get a chance to have a say in... Um, uh, in what uh, is going on um, in the country that you're living in. And so I think that's the, probably the most important thing um, mm -hmm. is being able to do that. And uh, from my perspective, I you know want to stay here. I want to live here. I like it here. Um, and I'm happy with the, um, the um, opportunities that America provides me. So, I mean, I know a lot of it sounds very cliched, right? Um, that, uh, oh, yeah, it's a great freedom of America and this, that, and the other. And I'm following in the footsteps of... Uh, founding fathers and uh, coming from the old country um, over here and things like that. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a cliche becomes a cliche because it's a cliche, right? Um, and, well, um, yeah, and the appeals there, right? You're sort of representing that, uh, you know, Reagan-esque shining city on a hill kind of moment, right? And what we represent as far as our story is one that's appealing to all kinds yeah, interestingly, you know, it's, somebody, um, a friend of mine, because actually the first time I came to America was in 93, in fact, um, uh, right when I finished college and uh, me and two friends came out here for a month and we traveled around the East Coast. We did 10 days over on the East Coast, New York, uh, Niagara Falls, D.C., Raleigh, North Carolina for some random reason. But uh, <laughs> um, but I, actually, I think that was because a friend of mine, uh, who well, one of the guys I came over with, he had a girl that he knew in North Carolina. So that was probably the reason. Um, but uh, <laughs> It's and, always a reason, right? right? There's and, always a girl. And it's a pretty good reason. But uh, And then we came over to the West Coast and we did, you know, California. We did um, Yosemite, um, Vegas. And then we came through the desert, through Flagstaff, down through the... The desert and uh, just recently it was only like about six months or so ago uh, one of my friends who came with me on the trip he sent me a picture of me standing next to a saguaro and he goes like hey graham was this where it all started and i'm like well you know maybe it was who knows right so um but uh, but of course you know we um you know the uk we we got loads and loads of movies so um you know there's all the the old movies so i think i'm okay saying saying cowboys and indians movies but uh sure I've seen that in a uh in a derogatory sense, of course, but uh, that's truly how they were depicted back in the. Uh, we're not that woke right 70s. now, bro. Cool. Right? Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, gotta qualify it. But anyway, um, uh, you know, John Wayne and all these kinds of things, and then Clinton Grubb. with his um, uh, again, as they were called, spaghetti westerns. Um, I love spaghetti westerns, uh, and so you know, again, there's just a draw to the kind of like, particularly the Southwest, right? I mean, there's yeah. so much history and so much kind of like. Uh, um, well, it's hard to determine, uh, have the right terminology, I guess, for it. But the Southwest, I think, is where I gravitated towards. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to come to America to live in New York or Los Angeles. I could never do that. Um, it's it's the desert. That's, uh, no, it yeah. makes sense to me because there's not that's not too many degrees of separation because you can say that if if too much of the world in in a big portion of the 20th century, you know, the cowboy the image of the cowboy, the mystique of the cowboy is really a lot of that representation of the American persona. And easily you can say John Wayne and the birthplace of the cowboy. If you believe it's Texas, you're wrong. The cowboy is from Arizona and look it up. And I think that that makes sense. And it's, it's kind of burned into your, 
psyche, right? The the whole uh, tombstone and white herb and the the dusty trail and the the cacti and all of it's there. And your your mentioning of the saguaro makes me just I I remember you uh, I remember helping you plant the the saguaros in your backyard. Yes. And I mean, I'm, I can only imagine how big they've gotten now, but it's sort of your symbol, man. It's like your totem. Well, it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, interesting, right? I mean, within a year of moving over here, I signed up to a cactus rescue organization here in town. So I go out there with my uh, pitch, well, my fork and my pickaxe and whatever, and we go rescue saguaros and other cacti barrels and ocotillo and... Uh, all of these different cacti from areas before they get like uh, turned into uh, building sites for new houses going up and then right. we give them a new lease of life around there so it's just kind of like me doing my bit so yeah my little cookie cutter neighborhood um house has now got seven saguaros in various parts of the property and uh yeah so that's uh that's they're that's stoic they're stoic monolithic things and i love them i i just uh you know in all contexts for me it was always uh you know for a lot of kids i think of the 80s and earlier it was a wily coyote and, and the roadrunner running around the desert and you kind of imagine these things whether they're real or not i didn't have any exposure to the desert until i started moving west um, I'm being, I'm from the region I'm in originally that definitely didn't travel as far as you did, but I fell in love with it too. Uh, but America, cool you know, yeah. America itself. I mean, just think about what I grew up with in terms of TV shows, right? I mean, all of the TV shows were from America, even like, I still remember watching Dallas and dynasty, <laughs> although, although we called it din dynasty, of course, but you know, hey, <laughs> aluminium, yeah, dynasty. aluminium, but uh, dynasty. Um, but um, uh, advertisement, and then, and then of course there was Baywatch, and then there was Beverly Hills nine zero two one zero. You know the glorification of America. Oh, yeah, now you're getting uh, into straight America stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, but even like Starsky and Hutch, right, and uh, and all of these types of things, chips back in the day. You know, again, let's 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 acknowledge your love affair with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let's just get that out of the way. Well, okay, hey, we yeah, something know. I still don't really understand, but let's get into that. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When did that first come out? Like ninety-seven, ninety-eight, something like that, was it? I think so it was very American. Very, like I mean, it kind of fits into that same like ballpark, right? I mean, you're talking about a, a very um, uh, like American style show in oh, in terms of how it like goes into the world and, and what. And I mean, Joss Whedon is probably one of the best. Uh, um, was he? Did he produce or direct that show? I don't remember now, but um, I believe both. Yeah, he might have done. Yeah, and um, but I mean, he just a classic. I mean, the I mean the fact that he created like a Buffy language, like um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like you see, you know, I want to make fun like, of your taste like, in television right now, but the fact that you love Twenty Four as much as I do kind of evens out. It evens yeah. things out. Yeah, no, indeed, but uh, no, I mean, again, you're right. I, I just the UK. There was, although there's some fabulous UK television shows, and arguably a lot of them are way better than some of the American counterparts. But uh, Agreed. the UK kind of grew up, uh, particularly through the '90s and. Uh, uh yeah probably the 90s a big decade of just seeing how great life was in america 
you know, through the kind of Baywatch and through the uh, Beverly Hills 90210 and this, that and the other. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pull and I, I, you know, I consider myself lucky to be here, but I lucky, but also, um, you know, you make, you create your own luck. Right. And, and so I wanted to come here yeah, and I with you what I needed to do to make it happen. Luck favors the prepared. I love that statement. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to touch on that because, you, you know, you mentioned uh, one of the things I, I guess admire about the way you approach your sort of everyday life is you do get involved. You do go out and become part of, you know, the, the cacti rescue and, and, you know, for things that you care about or things that you've studied. And, you know, you're an individual that I think, I don't know too many people that I would say fit the term classical education, you know, um, but you know, you're a musician and you have, skill set with music I'm, I'm part of a symphony orchestra if i'm correct are you still doing that yeah i mean i was i, I am but i was well, not COVID, like right pre-covid yeah, yeah pre-covid yeah but uh probably yeah, hard yeah, to play a trombone through a mask yeah right uh, <laughs> graded ones that have zippers but that just seems a little bit too um snm for me so i'm not a little, a little too kinky yeah yeah <laughs> but um yeah but yeah, no, um, yeah, actually two orchestras and in actually just a couple of years ago, I actually signed up, uh, signed up, uh, auditioned, uh, I sing in the choir for the Tucson Symphony Orchestra as well. So Tucson Symphony Orchestra Chorus, but I'm also play trombone with the Southern Arizona Symphony Orchestra and the Tucson Repertory Orchestra. I love it. And, you know, music's, music's really been my passion, I guess, since, uh, since I was at the choir school as a young, innocent choir boy. And, and and that's that's I want to touch on this because I remember being in London for a friend of mine's wedding, and uh, where were you a choir boy? Grant? Yeah, I was a, I was a choir boy at Westminster Abbey, um, so uh, one of the big ones. Uh, in Unmistakable, maybe, maybe the big one. I don't know, but um, our rival St Paul's uh, is probably the other big one. But uh, yeah, Westminster Abbey is where they do a lot of the royal weddings. Um, not all of the royal weddings. I might have sung at a royal wedding had Lady Diana um, and Prince oh. Charles decided to actually ha get married at Westminster Abbey versus St. Paul's, but I'm not bitter and twisted about it at all. But... Uh, <laughs> well, we're not bringing it up because you're upset. No, we're just going to let that go. Yeah. Um, I will say one of the things, you know, uh, you and I met, uh, I have, we, you know, had a mutual connection with a friend uh, that was somebody that you were, involved with but i remember one of the things i can honestly give you credit you you didn't introduce me to curry and indian food but you did introduce me to more of the depth of indian cuisine and i remember those first you know the fact that tucson even had a, a curry house that was respectable and special shout out to saffron in tucson arizona if you are in Tucson and you have even the slightest love for uh, Indian cuisine, you must go to Saffron. It, it is a, it was a place that uh, the three of us, uh, Brando, Graham, and myself would go every Friday for years and years. And Graham would hold court basically and start ordering things that I don't think the chef thought anybody was going to order you were you were giving him pointers on how to bring some of the uh the curry that you grew up with and a, a lot of things now am i wrong in saying that the national cuisine of the uk is curry basically 
Yeah, right pretty much. Right. I mean, I think it is the number one dish in the United Kingdom is uh, is Indian food because uh, because it's delicious. It's yeah, <clears throat> and uh, you know, actually, I mean, English food. Uh, I think a lot of people will say over here is bland. Um, which I think is a reasonable uh, way of describing it. Although there are some great things, I'm not going to bash. There are. I'm, I'm, there I'm are. not going to lie. Every time I see like a Yorkshire pudding on a cooking show, I think, "Wow, that looks really weird. I want to put it in my mouth." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. There's a if you had a nickel, Brando. If you had a nickel yeah. for everything mm-hmm. you said that about, mm-hmm. right? Crazy bad. But 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 no. I mean, I think. Uh, and again, actually, um, uh, my favorite uh, Indian restaurant uh, in the UK. Well, I say Indian. I'm using the term very uh, generically because actually it was a Bangladeshi restaurant, and there are probably ah. as many uh, Bangladeshi restaurants as Indian restaurants in the UK, if not more. I, I don't know that though, actually, but there are a lot. Uh, and actually, uh, it goes back to the days of the British Empire, right? I mean, um, yeah. British Empire was um, uh, across the globe, and a lot of uh, Indian and, and Bangladeshi people uh, migrated to the UK um, as a result of uh, of that, and uh, so set up. There's a lot of communities over there now, and so there's a lot of food. But the food is adapted um, because, like uh, British people, like gravy, right? We like gravy. So um, uh, and uh, so a lot of the sauces, like the chicken tikka masala, is not an Indian, a classical Indian dish. It's a dish that has been made is Britishized, if if that's not even a word, but you know what I mean. Um, it's uh, the chicken tikka is something that's very familiar to Indian people, but um, the tikka masala, adding the sauce to it, is something that traditionally for the UK. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and but what I will say, Charlie, is that I didn't have my first uh, Indian cuisine experience until I was at college. And um, so, uh, so I was a late developer. A lot of people have been eating it for years, but I think I'm making up for it now. Well, I, I, I'll say that it it it, it was a uh, I, I love uh, so much about you know I grew up wandering around uh, five star resort hotel um, back halls and and into their kitchens and plan and getting you know basic instructions from from chefs on how to you know, cook and do things. Cause I just was bored. My, my mother happened to be in a position of power in those places. So I got, I got a lot of access and I like playing with knives and fire. So it worked out really well. I love to cook and prepare all kinds of different cuisines. And in all that time, I had never been uh, aware of how much just was going on with the flavors of curry. I, I, I would almost argue that, there's a lot of similarities in, um, you know, like you could almost say that Creole and gumbo are like the American curries in terms of how they come across and comfort and f- the spice and the, the the complex flavors. I just had no idea that, that Indian food had so much to offer. And you taught me a language. You taught both of us a whole language surrounding Indian food. You know, uh, I, what was the the first one? It was chicken tikka patia. And, oh, yeah. the, I, you know, I, I just remember now, of course, you 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 get past the first couple of years. And, oh, you've and tri- we got you to just a place. triggered me in the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so good. And I, I just remember uh, it got to a place where we it felt like royalty. Right. We would go in, sit down. The chef would come out we would order off the menu you leading the way 
and we would get introduced to a few different cuisines. And then you fast forward another 18 months and all of a sudden these items that we were consistently, well, you were consistently ordering for us, we would have start seeing them on the menu. Yeah. You know, we, as, as a regular piece. So it felt like, man, you, you hit Tucson and uh, you had an impact. You changed how the food went. Yeah, you know, and and that classical education, that diverse education, it, I think it's it seems like it's led you to be able to enjoy much more of the city than uh, probably more of any city, really, but much more of the city than I think your average person is because you're involved with so much. I mean, you're you're doing the symphony orchestra, you're you're in the the cacti rescue, you know, you you've also got your your day job, as it were. And um, uh, and invested in a winery as well. So uh, there you go. Well, and I'm building to that too. I wanna I wanna talk about that for a second. You know, I mean, is that a random thing? Usually, when you hear about someone who's involved with wine, they're they're passionate. They they're reading and learning and educating about the regions in France and you know, et cetera, et cetera. What drew you to first off before we even get that? Can you explain? what people are going to think first is why is there a winery in the desert? Well, yeah, I can try. I don't know whether I'll have a very good answer for it, but uh, it's fascinating that I think there are actually vineyards or wineries in most of the states of America. Um, so not just Arizona, um, but uh, there are certain things about the climate, but also the soil um, within Arizona. Um, that uh, makes it very uh, um, good for growing grapes down in um, Sonoida. Um, that's the area where Arizona Hops and Vines um, is uh, is located. The, the Which is your baby. In. But yeah, yeah, Arizona Hops and Vines is is my baby. But um, uh, but uh, in Sonoida, but there's actually three regions in Arizona. There's Sonoida, there's Wilcox, uh, and then actually a lot of the grapes are grown in Wilcox, even for Sonoida, because it's a very good growing area down there. But then also up in... Uh, Cottonwood and Sedona in the Verde Valley um, up uh, north of Phoenix. What is it? Probably like an hour and a half, a uh, couple of hours drive north of uh, Phoenix to get up into the Verde Valley. So there's actually three distinct regions. And, you know, the soil's really, really good. The climate's good because it's nutrient rich. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so um, so all of those things. And I think the uh, one of the things we struggle with, not struggle with, is is, of course, the environment here in Arizona because it can get very hot. The Sonoida, Wilcox, Verde Valley, they are actually a higher altitude up at 4,500, 5,000 feet. So that helps with the cooling down of the grapes overnight, which helps with their um, uh, their production. But what you'll find is that the wines here can be quite high in alcohol content because of the heat creates a lot of sugar and therefore a lot of high alcohol content. So so um, it's, uh, it's a different, you know, it's different. But Arizona's really getting on the map now with wine, which is exciting. Um, and uh, Hops and Vines has really helped kind of like rejuvenate, I think, the area, put a lot of like fun into wine tasting. You know, we pair our wine with chips. Um, so uh, it's kind of like... And events. You guys host such awesome and grand parties and events to bring people into this yeah. uh, smaller areas from the cities. And uh, I remember the 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 twenties, thirties themed, or thirties, forties themed party yep. that we all went to. It was the speakeasy. Yeah, speakeasy was, cool. was so much fun, and the yep. wine is spectacular to this day. 
I have uh, one of your your products, the Fluffer, oh, which yeah. I believe yeah. is a champagne. Am I right? Well, it's a sparkling. Um, a sparkling. Uh, it's a Moscato, right. basically. Yeah, but uh, but yes. I still have the 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 like the low the sticker from the bottle on the side of my small cappuccino machine because espresso that, machine. <laughs> espresso machine. So yeah, it's just got that the Say fluffer right. hand and the everything on there. I I'm so uh, you know shout out to Arizona Hops and Vines. I mean. If you visit, go there. Do you guys have an? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if you have online ordering. I don't even know if that's possible. But yeah, they do have. On, there is online ordering. Uh, there's there's a lot of back and forth depending upon which state you live in as to sure as to whether you can ship and all this and the other. And that's actually one of the interesting things is that you know the wine business is almost held back by the legislation within the country that really dates back to prohibition times. I mean, that's that's it, interesting. Very very interesting that. Um, you know, hops and vines, right? Um, the hops, we were wanting to do beer and wine, but we've had so many uh, difficulties with just the legislation associated with being able to brew beer and make wine on the same premises and serve it in the same building because you can't. You have to serve them in different buildings. There's a lot of things that go into these types of things, and it's very antiquated. Um, and uh, it would be um, uh, it would behoove the uh the governments to look into those types of things i think to just help small businesses do what they want to do which is you know yeah make some money but also yeah let people have fun but yeah no i mean it was um it's it's cool it, it's fun and you know you asked how i kind of got involved in it and it's like yeah i love wine right i mean who doesn't there's so much stuff that goes on with winemaking and the taste and the smell and oh god it's just great but uh, ironically, just getting involved in that was more just about me drinking the stuff than being a, <laughs> uh, a shrewd businessman um, and uh, just hanging out down there and meeting the cool people. And, uh, you know, I think I was probably subconsciously looking for something that was completely different from my work life. Right. And so, um, you know, being part of um, the wine uh, crowd down there, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it is. Well, a it's a, yeah. It's fun. It's really fun. And it's it kind of represents that entrepreneurial spirit that uh, I think is, you know, look, I, I mean, if, if I'm, I have to be completely honest, when I was a, a small time remodeling contractor, you know, you gave me we were friends, of course, and you gave me a lot of opportunity and were, you know, trusted me to do a lot of upgrading and work on your house and i always enjoyed the collaboration with you uh because it was it was a good back and forth you know you 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 were very i always appreciated the fact that you took your time coming to a decision but once you made a decision it was concrete and you were very receptive to a lot of creative suggestions and what we could do and and in a lot of cases i we, our collaboration really turned out some uh beautiful work you know, your your home is one of those uh, homes I'm really, really proud of having worked on and and thankful for your like your trust and continued investment in me and my business and allowing me to work on it, man. It's, um, you know, I would be wrong not to acknowledge that piece of our relationship, too. And are you know, you had that you have that ability to have a clear boundary of, you know, where our friendship uh, and ended in the boundary line and where the professional relationship was. Like it was very clear to both of us 
and it always worked out well. And, you know, I think that kind of speaks to, to who you are, you know, whether it's hops and vines or, uh, my old business in, you know, artisan design, it, it's always something I've been grateful for, man. I mean, uh, I love your home. Yeah. Well, I'm clearly I do too, because I'm still here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 11 years after I moved here, I'm still sitting in this house and uh, I'm enjoying it. I mean, there's definitely times when I think about, man, maybe it's time to have something bigger and yeah, wouldn't I love a pool and that type of thing. But, you know, fundamentally, uh, I, this house does what I needed to do for me. And normally, you know, my house is, is functional, right? I mean, I, I like to be comfortable in it, but I'm here to kind of sleep, eat, um, and then get ready to go to work and then travel, right? I mean, you know, I like to travel the world. I like to travel the country. And so I like to put my uh, my spare cash, if you like, into traveling versus having a huge mortgage. And that's just the way it is. Well, I mean, it's it it's really speaks. The house, you know, I, I feel that way about my own homes, but a lot of my approach to anybody's home was finding a way for it to really uh, fit that, person's character right like your home speaks to who you are whether it's the flow and design or how you know those choices are all sort of fit as opposed to being uh i saw this on a show i really want um you know <laughs> the same thing i saw them put in i want wayne's coat or what was the one from uh the Gaineses? uh Man, I, I forgot the. Thank God I forgot the term because I was so sick of people asking for it. You know, it was always a process of figuring out what fit the best for just you and, you know, the style, colors, design, all of it. And it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun to work on your house. Yeah, that no, was good. And yeah, the results are here to tell. And, uh, you know, even to the backyard and getting the saguaros out there and the landscaping and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great home. I think anybody will be happy to live here, and but currently I do, so I'm in good shape. So what instruments do you play fluidly? I mean, I know trombone, I know piano. Yeah, that's it, really. Uh, you know, singing, obviously, I uh, it's kind of, you know, I first started the piano was my first instrument back in the day. Um, I, I started playing piano when I was six, I think. Um, and then when I went to the choir school, Westminster Abbey, um they required you to play a second instrument so um i just kind of like like the look of the trombone um and so i started <laughs> playing that when i was eight um and uh, i'm happy that i play the trombone being part of uh, um, brass groups and things you know brass players are i'll say it, brass players are the best um i'm sure there'll be plenty of people out there who play other instruments who think i'm full of shit but i can say it because uh, those are my experiences but yeah so i play piano and trombone and that's really no, that's really it, Charlie. I, I don't um, dabble in a lot of other stuff, to be honest with you. So uh, that keeps me keeps me busy and keeps me uh, happy. And I've thought about learning the guitar and things like that, but uh, I guess just happy with what I'm doing. No, I respect that. I mean, I think it's a lot of what made, you know, again, pre-COVID, it's what made this city enjoyable is, you know, brass in general. A lot of, lot of New Orleans jazz is yeah, yeah. the horn section, you know, and, and, you know, you, it just has a persona all to itself. And I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. I love a lot of different music, but that music has a certain spirit to it. I, I don't play an instrument. Um, I kind of wish I did. My wife plays the piano, but uh, 
it, it's interesting because it touches on something I wanted to cover with before we go. You know, I, I mentioned classical education, you know, uh, without getting too in the details, you know, you work with a lot of more uh, one side of your, you basically your, your education, your upbringing was very much a, a bilateral approach on how you nurtured your brain, right? You have clearly put a lot of time into your creative side and then you know, your, your, your career and whatnot is really built more around numbers and structure and design. And it's like, do you, you know, I got sort of a, a odd philosophical question. Do you feel like having that musical and artistic and creative influence in your life at an early age and then kind of maintained throughout has benefited you intellectually cognitively do you feel like you're a smarter and more diverse person um and this may seem like a simple question but you know do you think it's a it's a it's a necessary ingredient for getting into those higher levels of of being an intellectual just being a smarter person more able to learn and whatnot yeah i don't know that's a it's a that's a very interesting question um oh, i should say um sorry i wanted to get the npr in that's a great question um, like, uh, on NPR, if you if you know that nobody's ever asked a bad question in the whole history of NPR, because every that's true. I listen to it all the time. You're absolutely yeah, right. That's, that's a, a very, very good question. question. It's very so, very interesting. But um, but it is a good question because it's it's and it's not an easy question to answer. I mean, um, I think music is something that's always come very naturally to me, whereas the other aspects of education not so much. Albeit that math or maths, as we say across the pond. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> math and music actually do go hand in hand, right? They are stimulated by the same side of the brain, I believe. Um, and oh. so a lot of people you will find that are good at math are also good at music and vice versa. Um, and actually in music, there is a lot of mathematics within music, be it tuning, be it uh, harmonics, um, be it uh, waveforms, be it attack, decay of the notes, those types of things. Um, and so there is a lot of um, math and music, a lot, lot of uh, um, similarities, perhaps, between some of those aspects. But in terms of, like, did it um, uh, help with other aspects? I think it helped because more, perhaps, because you had a release for something else that maybe helped you focus on other areas. I wouldn't necessarily say that music um, is what made me good at other things because I'm not sure that I was great at other things. I was good at other stuff, but I wasn't great educationally. Um, but I, but I was good educationally, but I think it's uh, perhaps the music providing you the, um, uh, the separation from everything else, the way of getting out of yourself, right. To be able to focus in on something, perhaps that was something that was more important. And if I, uh, can just say it was interesting just a, a like a month or so ago well it was maybe six seven years or so ago um a friend of mine from um from my work i went over to his house for i think thanksgiving or christmas and uh his wife's um grandson or something like that um was struggling uh, struggling at school and he played trombone and um so i said oh I'll come over and i'll uh, i'll uh, give you some pointers on the trombone and so we played a little bit and uh I played some of the trombone. I pointed out some things to him, um, and he was struggling with school in general. And uh, actually, the guy uh, who I work with, he remembered this more than I did. I said to him, 
I said um, his his wife was like saying, well, basically, you know, he's really struggling with school. And apparently the the philosophical advice I gave was just let him focus on the music and the rest will take care of itself. And lo and behold, like five, six, seven, eight years later, he's in marching band playing the tuba, actually not the trombone now doing great. His grades have picked up. He's doing fine and he's he's setting out on life. So, I mean, so that's great. Yeah, so I mean, it actually made me feel real good. It was just kind of like, I didn't even, it wasn't even something I had to do too much. It was just trying to provide my words of wisdom on music. And I guess from that perspective, music has helped him be successful, but mainly because by focusing on the music, everything else is coming along with it. So does that answer your question? Probably not. But No, it, 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 it actually is a, a kind of a poetic way to answer the question i think it gets to the point and it's a good way to respond to that i like it a lot um that's great man that's great i i, I kind of thought that maybe i would try to get into uh, some sort of uh roguish comparison between uh dating british women and american women but we'll have to save that for another time i'm sure it's a lot of fun and comedy there um a lot of good times but i think this is probably a, a good place to to just say thanks man this has been a really good conversation a lot of fun way to reminisce and i learned a few things about you bro um yeah well, I, I yeah i i tend to sometimes i i pull from a questionnaire from somebody that uh i enjoyed their program for a long time and i think the questionnaire is just fun um I, I was a big fan of James Lipton and Inside the Actor's Studio. I think because the format of that long interview program was meant to, you know, kind of get people to reveal things about themselves in a very uh, charming and insightful way. And I think it's a lot of what I'm approaching and trying to do with uh, the individuals that I've known and that I'm interested in that aren't you know, super famous Hollywood peeps. Cause I don't know any of them, uh, but, not, but yet. not yet at least. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'd like to wrap this, this show with a few of those questions from, from the James Lipton Bernard Pivot questionnaire. But I, before I do that, Brando, is there something we're missing that I keep you out of the loop, man? Do you have something you wanted to throw in real quick? Yeah. I totally raised my virtual hand when you were talking about Cowboys because I have a very interesting connection to the old West. Throw it down. Uh, my birthday, well the the shootout at the the shootout at the OK Corral happened on my birthday. That really explains the angst. It does. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> You've carried it with you this whole time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You were one of those people. You're probably one of the guys who got shot down. You had a red sash. Of course, that's straight from the movies. I, don't I know was not a really cowboy. True, no. But pretty funny i'm sorry i missed the hand man okay graham we're gonna do a simple questionnaire if you just pass on the question you can just say pass but simple answers and it'll kind of go pretty smoothly pretty quickly and it's a lot of fun and uh and then we'll kind of wrap it up um are you ready i think so all right pretty simple here we go what is your favorite word beer Nice. Yeah, that was coming. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Sober. <laughs> <laughs> it goes hand in hand. What turns you on? 
False. <laughs> You're a smart man. What turns you off? False. I'll mm. keep you guessing on those. I like that. What sound or noise do you love? Wind chimes. What sound or noise do you hate? Dogs barking. I'll be sure to tell Issa and Maisie. <laughs> well, mainly if they're locked in a garage next door to where I live, but you know. Oh, oh, call back. Wow. Props on that. I was annoyed by them too, man. Yeah. My God. Uh, I could talk a lot about that guy keeping his dogs in the garage. Okay, moving on. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. I was almost going to bet you'd go with bullocks, but I'm not sure if that's curse. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I, you know, I would like to be a uh, professional musician. Okay. But it doesn't pay well enough. So, yeah, hey. What profession would you absolutely not like to attempt? Teacher. Mm. All right. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, would you like um, would you like poppadoms and chutney? I love that answer. Maybe a pashwari nod. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, man, you did me a huge favor. You did both of us a huge favor by being a guest on the show. Uh, you know, obviously, we love the hell out of you, man. Your your family, your brother, and uh, we miss. I miss you guys. I'm far away, but uh, hopefully, be back sooner, sooner and sooner. I feel like the pressure to come back all the time. Um, thanks for being a guest. Thanks for being so open and uh coming on and having some fun with us on the show yeah of course it's been a lot of fun it's been great this has been cool just chatting and bullshitting and uh just like old times right um yeah it really is. do this for another hour and a half and uh still not get to the end of uh what crap we need to talk about so it's yeah, something i have to work on because I, i've been i had to start going with like a time limit because i could i would keep going believe he's me. done it in the past yeah. yeah, clearly. He's been on the phone with me a few times where I've done it, believe me. We didn't even get well, the pre-turkey turkey or the or the au jus sauce on the mashed potato or anything. So or the why, we didn't get to any of that. Or why the Green Bay Packer fans are, you know, basic human garbage. <laughs> said, said the Vikings fan. Yeah, yeah look. Uh, about the you shut your mouth, Charles. Time. You shut your mouth, Mr. Yeah. Well, Graham, I mean, look, I'll, I'll extend the invite now if you already know it's coming. Uh, we do like to try to do uh, a little bit of an overtime segment where we have people back and we just kind of go right into talking to them for another hour, hour and a half. Um, if you're interested in any time, you let us know. We'll jump on here and and just kind of have it all be about whatever the hell we want to talk about. Sports, bullshit, women, the whole thing. Yeah, maybe I'll have some better answers to the uh, the questions that time around as well. So I liked your answers, man. Yeah. I think they were really fitting. I think they fit really well, and I'm glad that I went with the questionnaire. Sometimes I don't, but I, I I have a hard time improving on those questions, and I think that they're they're timeless for a reason. Um, 
But hey, stick around for a second while I close out the show. And and thanks again, Graham. Yeah, I really appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, you guys. Great chatting with you. Call me about a curry tomorrow, buddy. Yeah, we'll do. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode uh, as much as we have. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed a lot of that. Um, Brando, thoughts, closing thoughts? No, not a lot of, not a lot of closing thoughts. Um, always good to talk to our boy G Money. G Money Grizzle, yeah, I like Grizzle a lot. Uh, thanks a guy, thanks a lot, guys. If you uh, if you think about it, you know, of course, I'll go through the whole spiel. Like, like subscribe, subscribe, and rate these podcasts five on your stars. Prefer- on your <laughs> preferred platform. Don't forget to ring that notification bell. Be part of the notification squad. And I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I know. It's it's really fun to go through that spiel, though. But look, we... Smash that, we li- have... smash that thumbs up, that like button. Smash. I like the smash. Smash the like button. You know... My mouse cost it... 100 fucking dollars. I'm not smashing anything. That's fair. Now, whether you're listening to us on, on iTunes or Spotify, we hope that you will keep following us we try to put out an episode every week. Uh, we hope you like the content. If you like some of this content, uh, take a look at the website at www.ruminationsradionetwork.com. We have a, a pretty good variety of podcasts and very talented hosts that uh, we're sure you're going to find a lot of entertainment and interest in and want to spend your time enjoying a lot of these uh, talented individuals' perspectives and what they have to say. Uh, I'm Charlie Triple C. That's Brando over there. And uh, we, we thank you for joining us on Brevity Box. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Brevity Box, brought to you by Ruminations Radio Network. If you like this cast or want to find some other great topics, join me, Optimist on the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast for great discussions on all things retro future. Check it out at ruminationsradionetwork.com.